All right, Rahul, welcome to the podcast. What's up, Omar? Okay, so let's 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 get started on uh, on talking about Julius. Yeah, you guys have an insane stat, and I think it was something like three hundred thousand users in twenty six weeks. Correct. How does that even happen? I think it's a lot of just like execution, taking shots at goal, and and building, like talking to users and just building. What was the, what was like the first week? What were like the first couple of weeks looking like? Was Julius like I think you guys went through a few pivots. We went through a bunch of pivots. Um, so for context, we were like a team of four people. All of us are hackers. We all like write code and just want to build our ideas and, you know, play with AI um, and play with these models. So we were for a period of like eight or nine months, we were just building and launching different ideas. And our general idea was maybe, you know, there's like a, a ton of data out there in databases and like different like public sites that people want to uh, understand and query in an easy way. And these AI models are really good at, you know, writing code that can do that. Um, so let's go figure that out. So we basically launched four or five different things uh, in a period of like five to six months. And we were towards the end of like that idea maze where we were like, maybe there's something um, here, maybe there's not. So towards that end, we saw um, Chad GPT come up with the code interpreter. We were like, wow, like just the, just the idea of having an AI in your pocket that can just freely write code and analyze data and stuff is, is amazing and has a lot of potential. So let, let's go hack something there. So we went and built Julius in like two weeks. And at this point we were towards like the end of this idea maze. So we were like, okay, let's just make a chat GPT plugin and see if we can get users from there. And what was the plugin going to do? The plugin would help anyone just upload a data set and have the, have the AI look at it, analyze it, visualize it, give you insights. And then you can ask follow-up questions like, how many users do I have? Or like, here's this data I have about, you know, squirrels in a, in a public park. Can you help me visualize this? What are the patterns on how often these squirrels show up? Stuff like that. So um, we basically built that plugin, got it out there. And this was super early. Like we had, we didn't have icons for our app. So we would just use emojis. Like we use the numbers emoji for the logo. If you have icons, you've launched too late. <laughs> we have launched too late, yes. So it was like two weeks or two and a half weeks into like writing code uh, that we launched. And I think the idea there was, let's first figure out if people even want this thing. Um, and if they do, then we can build it out further. And what were you looking for to like, what would determine whether or not people wanted it? Whether they actually use it the way we intend it to work. Do they come back? Um, and we saw early signs of that. So we put a paywall. So after 15 messages, you have to pay to, to continue using it. And some people paid, paid us. We were like, wow, like for real, uh, people want this thing. So we just, you know, build it out more and just kept doing it. Um, and it's been about 26 weeks. And then um, it eventually, like after a couple of weeks, it actually became Julius Julius. Like it was called Chat with Data at first. Oh. We didn't even have a name. Um, but 
Yeah. If you have a name, you've launched too late. If you have a name, you have launched too late. If you have a domain name, you have launched too late. Facts. One thing that's interesting is like, we hear a lot of the stories of people, they set out with an exact idea of what they were going to build yeah. and then they spend a bunch of time building it and then they launch it and they realize that no one wants it. Sometimes they pivot. Sometimes they ran out of money and the company just failed. Yeah. But you guys kind of did like the textbook right thing to do, which is build a really small version, ship it to a bunch of users, see what they think. Yeah. And then you turned on a paywall right away, which I feel like a lot of people don't actually do. Yeah, totally. Well, so one of the, well, it, it wasn't really out of wisdom, to be honest. Like it, it is wisdom now, but it was like the first time you launched, it It took us like two months to launch. Okay. And, and then the second time you launched, it took us a month to launch. Okay. And then by the time we realized, wait, actually it's better to just let the users tell us what they want. And then all the subsequent launches were just much quicker, like two weeks, um, three weeks max. That's interesting. And then am I allowed to ask how much the, the revenue that first came in, like at the very beginning, how much that was? Well, at first it was like $60 for the first day. Okay. And it was, I believe, two or three people paying. And where did you launch? Was this like product hunt or were you just tweeting about it on your account? So um, our first like 20,000 or so users um, mostly came from the plugin store. How? We basically gamed um, SEO on the plugin store. Like so, the ChatGPT plugin store? Correct. Yes. So we, we launched one plugin and after that plugin got some users, we were like, okay, let's make this into a product. Okay. And we made Julius. And the f the way it would work is users would find us, find a plugin to do something they want to do in ChatGPT. And then in order to use the plugin, they have to go to Julius.ai and make an account and then like upload their data set there. And that's how they would discover Julius. And slowly they would figure out that I can do what I want to do much easier in Julius than use a plugin. So more and more users would just you know, upload stuff to the to, to the actual Julius app and start using it there. And that was like a funnel for us um, from the plugin store to Julius. Um, and then soon we realized that more plugins equals more users. <laughs> so there was a point where there were, for certain keywords, if you search them on, Julia, uh, on, on ChatGPT, you would see like five plugins pop up five different plugins and all of them are us. That's so funny. So we were just like increasing the shots at goal. And I think later we found out that this is like a growth strategy where you want to find a growth mechanism and then scale it up until it stops working and then find something else. How long did the chat GPT arbitrage work before they figured it out? Well, like a month or two months. And then they like, you know, but that stopped. was like how many users? That was like 20,000. Yeah. They're like, all right guys, no more plugins. You're, you're, you cannot make any more plugins. So, uh, but you owned the users by that point. It wasn't just like a plugin that disappeared once they like started. Uh, exactly. Was, we owned the users. They had an account on Julius and then we could re-engage them with like, Hey, here's how, here's a new feature we launched that you can use in your workflow and, and do what you want to do in a much easier way. So one thing I feel like a lot of startups struggle with is they figure out how to drive a bunch of people to the top of the funnel, whether that's Facebook ads or a tweet that goes, that goes viral or whatever. But then those users just kind of drop off and there's yeah. no way to re-engage them. Yeah. Um, some people send like change logs. One of the things we do at Ultra, which is our email app, um, is we send weekly uh, change logs of the new things that we've shipped in the week. And that does pretty well for re-engagement. Yeah. What are some of the things you guys were doing that actually worked? Well, we, we kept adding new features. And every time we would add a new feature, we would um, send them an email that, hey, this is now live in Julius. 
Um, and I think that kind of sounds like change log to me. Yeah. Where like this is the stuff we added, this is the stuff we fixed. Um, we we pretty much do that. Um, you know, just keep users in the loop and keep let them know that you're building the things that they want to use and users users like that. So I think it's a very honest way of like communicating and re-engaging your users. Interesting. One thing we've talked a lot about in the studio is like, you know, it's like if a tree falls in the forest, but no one heard it, did it really fall? It's like the same analogy of like, you know, a feature isn't fully built out until it's been shipped and tweeted about and talked about to the world so that people know it's been shipped. Yeah. Um, but then how do you go from this initial burst? You have 20,000 users now. How do you go from that to 300,000 in like the remaining 20 or 15 weeks? Yeah, well, so a couple of different things, you know, users tell other users um, when they like a product. Um, so it was, part of it was word of mouth. Part of it was just tweeting, sharing, spreading the word. Um, one of the companies um, in FDOT, Zeet is a company that helps us build Julius. We're, we're a customer. So just, you know, when, when they help us fix something, we like tweet about that and they help, they tweet about us. Like, hey, Julius runs on Zeet. Um, I think one thing we realized is that um, in terms of getting users, we're always thinking about, um, you know, building product and then like doing a really good demonstration of the product. Like if you can build something people want and then like show it to them in a way that they um, really understand, that that resonates really well. Interesting. So it, that includes like tweets, sending them emails about all the features we're building, um, getting um, people who, who are like high influence in the space to like talk about the product. How did you get your friends? Like I'm guessing a lot of them are just your friends, right? People who have influence in the space. Yeah. How was, what was the ask for you to be able to ask them to tweet about it in a way that doesn't sound just like very transactional? Yeah. Well, so in the beginning it was, well, we, the thing about doing like your fifth or sixth pivot is people have helped you out in the past and it doesn't work out. So by the like fifth or sixth time, it kind of feels weird to like ask. Yeah. But I, I don't think you should feel weird. Like, I think it's it's okay to ask people to like help you out. Um, so just, you know, sending people regular updates about, hey, like this is something we've built and this is something people really like. It would be awesome if you could try it out. And that I think works. Um, works pretty well. It's just like you you demonstrate the product to them as opposed to like, hey, here's a here's an ask for you. Like, can you post about us? Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I was talking to Sejal a couple of days ago. Um, he, I guess for the audience context, he's like 20 years old. He works yeah. with Naval building air chat. Yeah. And we were, we were having this conversation about like, how can you set yourself up in a way to where people want to help you and it doesn't feel like transactional. Yeah. So his strategy is he just sends like context on his life to all of the people that he considers like mentors or people that, you know, have helped him out in the past. Sometimes they don't reply to his texts, right? Like sometimes they're just busy. Yeah. Um, but he just continues to send them like context on his life, updates on his life and occasionally asking for advice because he knows that when the time is right or when they have something to say, they will reply to that message and whatever other messages in the past um, that he had sent. And so that manifests in like, when he had his video of like the O1 visa, like he made a video. Yeah. Here's how to get an O1 visa as a founder, which like ranked number one for the term O1 visa or something on YouTube. That's crazy. Everyone for like two days was just retweeting it or like quote tweeting it. Like every time I opened Twitter, my entire feed was just Sigil talking about how to get an O1 visa. And I asked him about it when we were talking about it. Cause I was like, how did, how did you make that happen? Um, and obviously part of it was just a video that people wanted to share cause it was helpful. But also a big part of it was 
people had seen, including me, had seen him go through his like content journey for the last two years of like recording everything in his life, but not wanting to put it out yeah. such that when he finally put it out, everyone wanted to see him win. Yeah. And there's also like a, a flip side to that is Arab. I think he was like 19 at the time. He made this video that went super viral where he got a Neurosity headset, which is like a crown that you put on your head and you can like, you know, there's an API that you can use to control other objects. He connected it to someone's Tesla and he basically controlled the, the motion of the Tesla by like doing math in his head. And he made a video where he went downstairs with all the guys at F Inc. And he, de he demoed himself controlling the Tesla with his brain. And right after that video went out, he was making the rounds. Every single person downstairs, he was going up to them and asking like, hey, can you please retweet this? And so in the first like 30 minutes of the tweet being out, there were like 30 retweets on it. And some of the guys that I think have a good amount of followers, like 10 or 20K followers. And that video went super viral. Business Insider picked it up. So it had like 100,000 or, or, or how many ever thousand views it had. And that was all just because he like, manu like he manufactured virality from day one by just asking all of his friends to, to kind of retweet it. That's awesome. I think I've seen that video. Yeah. It was downstairs, right? Yeah, it was. That's it was. crazy. Dude, wow. for, for a while. So many people would come up, to, like would, would like ask me when they came up, like, hey, I saw this video of like a Tesla. Yeah. Like Business Insider picked it up and they were like, oh, because Grimes had come to our office yeah. um, to like, and she got like a neurosity and they were like, here's a video of this kid controlling a Tesla with his brain. And it was, it was, it was interesting to see how like manu, like, because we know it was manufactured. Like we know that it was intentional. Yeah. Um, and now it's like, I, I think a lot about how to replicate that with the companies that we're building now. That's fire. When you guys were in this, this moment of like trying to figure out what features to build next, how would you decide like what was like the next step? So we've always had a few different competing ideas of like what the users want. And we've realized that you can do two things. One is you can do a ton of research, collect a ton of data and um, put in a lot of like philosophical upfront work and like what should the product be? And like what should the users want? And like what should the users use Julius for? Or just pick one of them, build it out as as minimally as you can, and then they just launch it and then see if people use it. And if not, then try the option two and try option three. And low-key, the second strategy is just work way better than the first strategy. So initially, I'll give you an example. When we first launched Julius, you could do two things. One is you could connect a database to Julius, or you could bring a spreadsheet or a CSV file, an Excel file, and dump it in Julius and have the AI analyze it. And we first thought that, you know, database is going to be this thing because everyone has a database. Right. When we launched, it was pretty clear within the first week that most people just have a spreadsheet. Like everyone has a spreadsheet. The finances, some SaaS software, their data set for data science stuff, if you're a researcher or academic. Um, and those users are just way more than like the database users. So all the like philosophical work we did before that, uh, we just threw that out. We said, okay, let's just see what the users want. So we went and um, just looked at how can we help the users get what they want in the fewest steps possible. And if we can do that, then we can deliver the magic of like having this AI write you know, Python code to analyze their data set. Many of, your, many of our users don't even know what Python is. But just looking at the AI being like a code monkey for them, you know, writing these scripts to look at data and like unpacking it and then creating a visualization and creating a chart. They're like, wow, this is awesome. And they want to keep coming back and they want to 
you know, get that value again and again. So that was something that we kind of discovered just from shipping, just getting stuff out there in front of users. Even today when we ship a lot of features, you know, not every feature is a hit, but it doesn't matter because for every like three features or four features we ship that are not a hit, there's one feature that is a hit and then users just absolutely love it. And sometimes they're like really dumb ideas too. So Matt is one of the guys I work with. Um, he had this idea that sometimes people don't know what to ask AI. They just want the AI to figure it out for them because for many users, the AI is the expert and they are just looking for an expert opinion. So he threw a button in there that just says, keep going. And it's literally like a UI button. When you hit it, it just literally sends a message to the AI that says, keep going. <laughs> and we threw that button in and it's so popular. It took like a you know few minutes to throw that in there. And it's so popular because users, they come to Julius, they throw their you know files in there and, and they just ask the AI, like, keep going, like, keep doing your thing. Like, once you're done, let me know what to, you know, what are the insights and what are the visualizations and the data? And it sounds super simple, but it's one of the most popular, like, features on Julius. And that's the thing with content, right? You're always one, like, piece of content away from going viral. You're always one piece of, like, you know, like, one change away from, you know, having your thing work. And it's always the dumbest thing. It's always the TikTok that you spent the least amount of effort on yeah. or like the clip that I post online and I leave like, like a typo in the caption and that ends up with like 30,000 views or whatever it is. Kind of like walking out of a, out of an office with a box in your hand, right? Literally. I yeah. mean, that's a, that's a good segue <laughs> to talk about. I mean, the first time I found you, you went like mega viral yeah. around the time that Elon Musk had just come into Twitter and done the layoffs. You stood outside with a box and... I mean, I guess, do you want to even, do you want to tell the story? Yeah. Well, uh, October, 2022, I was, uh, low key viral on, on the, on the news. There was no, for, there was nothing low key about that. Uh, <laughs> for convincing a few reporters that I was a laid off Twitter employee with one of my friends and, um, and then, you know, Elon posted about it and then we got to go meet Elon, uh, hang out with him for a little bit. How, do, how does that even, why, why, why do that? Why? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I've never like shared the story publicly. This is the first time sharing the why? story publicly because I've just been busy with the product and just getting users and stuff. But, um, basically, you know, I was, I live a few blocks from the Twitter office and my, my gym is in the Twitter building. So every morning, 8 30 AM, I walk to the gym, I work out and I shower, I go to the office. Um, that morning, there just happened to be a ton of cameras outside, a bunch of reporters. So I have this like Snapchat of me in the gym saying, bro, there's like hella reporters outside. Like, that's crazy. It would be crazy if I walk out with the box. So I text my roommate first. Um, he's this guy on Twitter, Rune. Um, Your roommate is Rune? Rune, was that? Your roommate is Rune? Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. He's my roommate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I text him, I'm like, yo, bro, pull up like bring a box, like we should do this. And um, he is like, I'm sleepy, man. I can't right now. Like it's 9 a.m. What are you doing right now? So I text our other friend, Daniel, and he, sh he pulls up and he brings two boxes, actually. He brings one for me and one for himself. And then he also like puts some books in there, um, just some random books. 
So literally there's like no planning. We just walk out. And the idea was, you know, some of our friends would see it and it would be funny. Yeah. Um, there was no like intention of going viral or it was, it was just the, the point was to have fun. I think people sometimes take things super seriously. You know, everything has to have a strong intent and you need to have a, like a big vision behind everything. I don't think so. I think the point of life is to just have fun and build cool shit and just, you know, be with people you like. 100%. Being with. Um, so just me and my friend, we were just walking out of the building. We just, first thing, you know, the reporter asks us is, uh, wait, did he just get laid off? What happened? And we say, yeah, like, yeah, we got laid off. Like, it's crazy out there. Um, they just came into the room. They said, and it was so, it's so dumb too, because I was literally in my gym clothes um, and uh, with the box in my hand. And then I looked down into the box and I see a Michelle Obama book. <laughs> so I just pull it out and I said, you know, Michelle Obama, this wouldn't have happened if Michelle Obama was still in the White House. And they love that. They love that. So, um, yeah. And then, and then I, I walk home and they kind of like follow me for four blocks. Um, oh, no way. Yeah. I live like five blocks away. So I'm, I'm glad they like <laughs> almost made it home. Um, and then I check my phone finally and I realize it's popping off. I'm like low-key worried for a little bit because I don't know what's going to happen. Like, am I going to get doxxed? I don't know how people are going to perceive this. Because um, the point was to just have fun. Like, I thought, you know, five of my friends would see this and they'll think it's funny. Yeah. Uh, the intention was never to like go, go viral. mega viral. Yeah. Um, it was low-key scary for like two hours. And then Elon posted about it. He's like... Now, nah, yeah, you fired them. And then everything was chill, you know, after that. Wait, so what did Elon post? He said something like they had it coming or something. That's so funny. Yeah. So he knew. He didn't. He knew. Well, because they said your name was Rahul Ligma. Yeah in, the, yeah. in the thing. Yeah. And then how did you end up meeting up with him? So here's another interesting story. So like when this happened, a lot of people who I knew or like, and they also knew Elon, yeah. through, you know, startups. They reached out and they said, dude, this is awesome. Like, you're amazing. You're, you're a legend. Um, Elon, I know Elon would love this. And then I said, okay, then connect me to Elon. Like, I would love to meet him. And, and they would just not do it. Like, they were just kind of low-key gatekeeping it. Um, so no one in connected us to Elon. And then one day, we just, like, two weeks in, after the thing, we just show up to the Twitter office and we say that to the front desk, we are like, yo, can we talk to Elon? We are these guys who did this. Um, They're like, okay, like, let's see what we can do. And they made us like sit for 20 minutes. And then, and like 20 minutes later, this guy came downstairs and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm Jacob or whatever. And I work on Elon's team. And it only took 20 minutes. Yeah, 20 minutes. And then, uh, then he took us upstairs and he made us wait for another like hour. Okay. Um, got us like some drinks or whatever, like office, you know, yeah. sparkling water. Lacroix. Welcome to Essa. Yeah, yeah. No still water, just sparkling. <laughs> no still water, just sparkling. I got Sometimes Lacroix and Topo Chico. Yo, low key, sparkling water makes you a little burpy. So I don't want to drink that because I don't want to be like burping. Like, this is alpha. Them. This is yeah. alpha. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we we hang out for a little bit and then you know Elon comes out and. He's super chill. He's got like this corner of the office where he was like running the show, super hands on. He's talking about 
dude, like five minutes in, he starts telling us about the code base. Like, you know, like how many lines of Scala we have, like that's crazy. Um, and we talked to him about that. Um, and he showed us around. And yeah, that's that's the story. Casually got a tour of Twitter from Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Did that help your startup at all? Were you working on Julius at this point? Julius was still uh, eight months out. So oh, okay. I was working on a different idea and then we went through like four or five different ideas. Same team? Uh, almost, yes. More or less, okay. More or less. Interesting. Did that help at all? Um, did that help at all? It definitely helped get, you know, getting followers on Twitter. And then that leads to eventually conversions if yeah. you're building in the startup space. Yeah. And then also like, you know, meeting people. Um, but the intention behind it was never to like get, you know, get famous or whatever. It was just right. to have fun. Do you plan on pulling any more pranks? Uh, if I, if I do, it probably won't be planned. Okay. Uh, it would just be like in the moment, you know? That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. That's dope. Right now with, it's a four person team, you said? Yeah. And this is more or less the same people that you've been working with for the last like, year or two. Exactly. Are you all engineers? More or less. Um, me, two engineers, and then one BizOps, but he also like helps out with code. Like if there's some issue with analytics, he was not afraid to like dive into it. Last night we were um, looking at dark mode. Turns out a lot of users want dark mode. Like, okay, like, let's get that in. Yeah. And that's um, how you know you made it. Once, you're, once your app is at a point where you need dark mode, yeah. you're good. That's yeah. TMF. No, I know, dude. Because for the longest time, I, I, I'm not a dark mode user, Loki. Like I, the only place I use a dark mode in is IDE. Really? Yeah. So like if I go on your Twitter, it's white? Uh, Twitter is, I think it's set with the daytime. So like, right now it's daytime. If I go on your, oh my God, yeah. that's horrible. <laughs> Yo, you weird, Dude, bro. Nah, bro. I, I think it's, uh, light mode is more, I don't know. I like the vibe of light mode in the daytime. But, but, but IDE, I, I, terminal, all that dark mode. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And so now you guys are working on dark mode and, and this guy was helping, I'm guessing, with the code. Well, we don't work. He just threw that in. Like he just oh, went, he added it. Yeah, yeah. He went in and he like figured out, okay, I gotta change the you know, colors here. I gotta um like change this config here. And then last night at Slack at eleven, we were just like talking nice. about getting that out. And he just did it. Like he just did it. Like I I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that's awesome. Yeah. How do you guys decide like what like who does what, how do you like split responsibilities around the team? Cause you're already at a point where you need marketing, you need yeah. design, you need, you know, like you have revenue. So you, you also need someone on finances. Like how do you decide who works on what? Yeah. So, uh, we have engineer, two engineers. They mostly do code, right? Mostly code support, customer support. We do it amongst all, like all of us do a support. Um, we just got an intern a couple of weeks ago. And he's been doing support too. Um, and he's an engineer. Like he's out in Canada and he built out the last feature we launched. Um, and he's been doing support actively too. Um, I think support doing support is a good way to understand where the users are are facing issues and like where the pain points are. Um, oftentimes what we do is since um, all of us are online at some point in time, if there is an issue with the user and we can't figure it out, we just drop them a Zoom link in the like support chat and they hop on. And then this turns into like a user chat where you can ask them follow-up questions. Like, 
what other AI products do you use? What do you like about Julius? What could you change about Julius? Um, and observing how they use Julius is, is super helpful. And so me and two engineers, we do most of the code. Um, I think all founders should also do marketing. Like marketing is really important. Building a product is not enough. Like you gotta be able to demonstrate how it works. You gotta be able to resonate with users. You gotta be able to get it in front of a ton of users. So, you know, any any founder who just wants to write code and not do any marketing, I think they're not going to get a ton of users. It's called best-selling author, not best writing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I've overused it now. Dude, okay. I know. That's a, that, that's a good way to put it. Wait, did you just come up with that? or? I've been saying it for so long, I don't remember if I came up with it. I'm going to pretend like I came up with it. it probably did. Yeah. Probably didn't. It's okay. Loki, you got to take credit sometimes. I'm always taking credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's interesting. I think, um, have you have you raised? Yeah, we have raised uh, from angels and small funds about, and we recently went through AI Grant, which is run oh, by Nat nice. yeah, yeah. And, and Daniel Gross. Um, and that's been super helpful. How? So, uh, just meeting high quality AI founders in this space is is very helpful. Like, I think AI native products are pretty interesting in the sense that they're, you know, like bringing together different paradigms. Like you're, you have users who come to you and they don't, they don't want to click stuff in the UI. They just want to talk to the AI. Right. And they just want the AI to do stuff for them. Um, there's a lot of these like useful insights that you can gather from just talking to AI founders and understanding what they're going through, how they're getting users, how they're retaining users. Um, and that's been super helpful. Um, Nat and Daniel, they're, you know, of course helpful in like making intros. Um, Nat, I reached out to him yesterday to see if he could connect me, connect me to someone at Wolfram and he just like within hours figured out um, that intro. So that's been helpful. One thing I noticed when I was looking at your bio is you have Julius.ai slash iPhone. Yeah. And it links to like the mobile app. Yeah. I think a lot of the start AI startups that we see in the space, most of them have not made it to the app store yet. Yeah. They barely have their like mobile render of their website down. Yeah. Why did you guys go so early into mobile? What we realized pretty early on was that um, people are using us not just for data, but for math, for science. Um, just, a, just the idea of having a code monkey in your pocket that can write Python scripts for you and uh, solve math, do, so, do chemistry, do physics, analyze data, um, all these different things is, is really powerful. But there's a ton of users on the app store that don't have access to this. They have to open their computer, go to Julius.ai and, and use it there. Not a friction. So, um, especially with like younger audiences, you know, it's today, most of the users of Julius or at least up until December, which is a month ago, um, uh, most of the users were knowledge workers. And then after December, we are seeing a lot more younger like students and, and, and researchers, those kind of people come to Julius and use us. And those users are actively on mobile. So. How do you reach that user demographic of like kind of students or people that might not live on Twitter or have any overlap with like the builder, like San Francisco scientist kind of demographic? Yeah, well, uh, we are still figuring that out. But one of the things we did was there was this 
this like influence there's like this tiktok influencer guy named um akhtar he, he does this like you know these these videos about different countries um and talks about like singapore number one country in the world with like a thick indian accent fire um and he, he gets like hundreds of thousands of views um and a lot of the viewers are like young people um so i reached out to him on whatsapp i was like yo would you make a video on julius because He's he just does videos about different countries, um, and he's like, yeah, uh, you know, I'll do it for hundred dollars. It's a lot of money in like, in like India, right? Arbitrage is insane, dude. I know. Um, so you gave hundred dollars. He made a video, got got like twenty thousand likes, um, on on reels or or TikTok. Yeah. Um, were you able to track conversions? We did get some downloads. Yeah. Nice. Um, but one thing about App Store is something I've realized is it's hard until you get a hundred stars like the more stars you have really um the easier it has become to get users the reason for that is when you go to a website you don't know it could, it could be like a professional looking website and you would think it's it's legit yeah but if you have an app that has just like five reviews sometimes it's hard to convince people that hey you want to that's this. true that's true yeah um and i personally wouldn't trust an app with five stars five five reviews right so uh but as we're getting more reviews and ratings it's getting easier to get users are you asking people to like rate you how do you how are you like reaching that hundred yeah so users use us so one of the things we do in julius is we the way you can rate an uber driver on uber you can rate a restaurant on yelp you can rate the ai and that helps us improve the product a lot because Every time the a user rates the AI one star, yeah, we ask the user after you know a few messages, hey, how's the AI doing right now? And the user rates the AI uh, one star. It's it sends a ping on our Slack, like, hey, this user just rated one star to this AI, this response, and then we like look through server logs, figure out what went wrong, why is this why is this like a one star experience? But if the user rates five stars and if they're mobile, we show a pop up like, hey. You rate our app, get you know, get us more ratings. So works both ways. Interesting. So you have like a big feedback list somewhere in Notion or something? Yeah, we have like a long uh, Google the Doc. Backlog. Oh, yeah, it's a Google Doc. Yeah, I'm 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 old school like that, Loki. Um, but but Zach on my team, he loves Notion. So for just for a one on one with him, he uses a Notion. And you use a Google Doc? I use <laughs> I use Google Doc. Efficiency. Yeah. Have you seen everyone that's starting to say SaaS is going to go to zero because it's just too much like spend, too much burn, too many different apps? Yeah, I've seen people say that. Um, I think there's, it It might be true, but I, I also think that there's something about experience, like just real good user experience. Like I can see why people like Notion. Like I totally get it. Yeah. Um, I'm just not a user for it, but I totally get why people like Notion. But to go back to my initial question, so you have this big list of, of, of like this big list in a Google Doc of like all the feedback, whatever. Yeah. How do you are you able to use Julius to like decide what to what what to go in, like what's recurring, what are like common you know like problems? Yeah, absolutely. You can you can export. So we collect the star data, star rating, and like, what is the user using Julius for? Why did it why did it rank low? Yeah. And we actually use some classifiers to identify. Okay. This this chat was rated one star for for this reason, and we're collecting that data. And the goal is to you know train smaller models that are better at 
reducing those bad experiences just focused on like not letting that thing happen is going to be really important um and yes we use julius to collect and analyze the data so i'm going to tell you a little bit about how we're building our products in the studio and how we use julius right now and then you can tell me how we can be using it better absolutely so we'll start off with the first one there's this consumer social app that we're building um the target demographic is like 18 to like 35 year olds um and without saying too much, it's like there's like a sharing feature. Everything is you you perform an action in the app and you share it with like the person that you created the action for. And so what we do is we, we use post hog to track everything from like, you know, like their Facebook clicks, like their age, because we ask for their birthday when they sign up. Yeah. Um, we can use so, so some of the times we can gauge what their name is based on their email, although we recently switched to phone number auth. So now we can also gauge where they're based um, like locality wise. And so what we do is we export all of our people data and we see of all the people who converted, who went to the end of the funnel, show me what age they are so we know, you know who to double down on. We see where they're based. So we see which locations and which regions we need to double our spend on Facebook or, or Google clicks for. And then we also have the created at time so we can see where, like what times of day the ads are best performing. Mm-hmm. So we can double down on those. What else would you use it for? So PostDoc should let you like export that data as a CSV. Right. And we plug that into Julius. Sick. Awesome. Um, you can plug it into Julius. Um, you could, one thing I recommend you do is um, do use Julius for um, intent classification. So if you have, if you have other data as such as like, where is this user profile? And then where did they use the, the product for you have those two things, um, you can dump that all in a spreadsheet and have Julius kind of go through, do a classification of like, when users use a product for this use case, the use case is just like off the roof. Like, mm. it's awesome. Um, and when they use it for, for some something else, um, they you know use it once, but they don't really come back. I think that could be a useful thing in Julius. Interesting. I see that being actually really useful in our other product as well, which is Ultra, which AI email client. I think Ibrahim, uh, Ibrahim Ahmed on Twitter has, has tweeted. I've seen you guys go back and forth on Twitter dude. a lot. Nah, he's fired, dude. He's, uh, what's funny is he was trying to use ChatGPT yeah. to do something with his, his data set and it failed and he tweeted on, on Twitter saying, um, oh man, this doesn't work. I wish, I wish an AI could do this for me. And then someone replied to the tweet saying, hey, you should use Julius. I didn't know and that. then he posted a new screenshot saying showing like side by side how Julius was able to do what he wanted he wanted to do and and ChatGPT couldn't. So that was you know those 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 kind of wins make us really happy, and oftentimes they come from just like improving the core functionality. Yeah, and like building new features. I have a question around like competition, but before that, to kind of give you the ultra use case. Yeah, there are three main features around ultra. One of them is we have a really good AI filter, so you never have to see like the LinkedIn cold outreach spam. Um, we have a ChatGPT like assistant, so you can talk to your emails. You can ask it like, you know, show me all the Zillow prices in the last like year of the houses I'm watching, and show me like the percentage change over time. Um, you can and also like you know show me an email with Rahul from six months ago when we first met. Whatever. Um, there is an AI generated to do list in like the left column, so that if there are things that you need to act on in an email that you miss. It'll put it all into its to-do list. Um, there's some other. There are some other features, like the whole thing is like a dashboard. The way I think of it, it's like what Stripe did to Google Sheets, we're yeah. doing to your inbox. Yeah. Um, 
it's like there's also like a calendar similar to how Cron used to have it in the top like bar where you can just like tap and see everything you have to do for the day. Yeah. So now that you have all that like context around the app, yeah. What are some of the things you would do with our everything's tracked in post hoc, all the actions, everything? Uh, what would you set up to see how we can get more out of each user? In in Julius. Uh, in Julius, yeah. So I export a CSV from post hoc of everyone's actions, how they're using the app. Yeah. How can I use Julius to? like improve the user like targeting or, or who we're reaching out to or how they're using the app or whatever. Yeah, totally. So what I would do is use, Ju- so you have these actions by user and I assume those actions have timestamps with them. Right. So one thing you would want to look at is uh, what kind of actions are performed by users or power users and what is like the distribution of those actions. So um, if you, you know, if you're an expert in data analysis, you can, really specifically prompt Julius and say, hey, can you do clustering analysis for me? And some users do that. But majority of Julius users aren't experts. We are, we are like builders. You know, we are marketers. We are like engineers. We are good at something else but data analysis. So Julius helps you take your just honest, plain English prompts. You can say, hey, I have this data of my users who have, you know, actions have done actions over time. And I want to understand which, what makes a user a power user? What makes a, what kind of actions does do the users who use us a lot? Like where's the aha moment? Where's the aha moment? And then, and then the AI will just help you unpack it. And it may not always work. Um, but the thing about Julius is that it can correct its own mistakes. So oftentimes it will write code, run it. And that code has some, sometimes makes mistakes, right? True. The good thing about code is you can, prevent hallucinations by just running the code. And if there is an error, it can try to fix its own errors. Um, so you can ask follow-up questions like, oh, so it seems like these actions are more popular. Can we can we like drill deeper into those? Um, just stuff like that. Interesting. Are you worried at all about competition? Not really. Why not? I think I think people think too much about competition as a excuse to like not do something. So an example of this is, you know, chat GPT. Um, there's so many AI people out there that would never get started because, um, because, oh, what if open AI does it? Or like, what if chat GPT does it? And in all honesty, they should, but like they should, they should give it a shot. If, if it's a good idea, if your idea is good, everyone's going to give it a try. Right. Um, but that's not, that's not a reason to like not get started. Like ultimately there's so much work in execution to like actually making something happen, like getting first users, talking to the users, understanding where their pain points are, figuring out how to get more of such users. All that work is super, super useful and and super important. But people just like, as a, as a, as a, like a low agency thing, they just never get started. Yeah. So um, I don't think competition is a reason to like is is a thing to worry about, especially if you're an early stage founder. Just like, just like build stuff, man. Like just build stuff, get it out there, see if people use it, and if they like you, they'll pay you. If they don't like you, go back to the whiteboard and figure out what would what what do they want, what do these users want, or what would somebody want, um, and just keep keep going through that loop. Do you think you had an advantage though? Because I see a lot of like successful founders had some like, you know, unique insight that they had when they were younger because of the way they were brought up or like, yeah. you know, they had access to someone like a knowledge leader in the space, like a professor or 
they just knew how to code and, you know, something happened. Like a lot of people will build like generational wealth off of AI because they came in knowing UX and UI yeah. and coding. And they started building like eight months ago or a year ago. What were your, like, what were your advantages? Yeah, totally. I think what matters the most is an individual's ability to, to like have that Napoleonic ability. You know, like you just, you just make a small beachhead landing in something and just like go from there to like a moat. Right. And I'm basically like paraphrasing what Nat Friedman said once to me, which was, you know, like a, a company like Midjourney, they started with an open source model when they first started. And so many people would never get started on on building the next Midjourney because, well, Dolly is going to do it. Well, um, Stable Diffusion is going to do it. Um, but you know what? It's who knows? Like you just got to talk to users, iterate, um, have the Napoleonic ability to like outwork everyone. If you put in the hours, I think, and if you're honest yourself intellectually, like hey, do users want this? Do, um, do is, this some, is this something that, that's helpful to people? I think the rest kind of works out. I'm going to ask you the question that I, I generally ask now to, to kind of wrap things up. And that is, if we were to do this podcast in a year, what would you want to have accomplished by then to consider the past year's success? A million users. A million users and getting the super intelligence that can write code to do math, physics, data analysis, all this stuff into more people's pockets.